0: I kind of feel like the industry is blending. Everybody now understands the value of digital and we're, we're no longer having to kind of have conversations around the value it brings versus, you know, traditional advertising.
1: Hello and welcome to this second special episode of Media Voices straight from the Cannes Lions Festival of Creativity 2022. I'm Esther Thorpe. If you haven't listened to part one yet, you should be able to find it just below this episode in whichever podcast app you're listening to us in. If you did listen to part one, welcome back. Thanks to our sponsors Sovereign who have made these episodes possible. Sovereign is a leading publisher technology platform who provide advertising tools, technologies and services to thousands of publishers to help them monetize and grow their businesses. You can find out more about them at Sovereign.com. But without further ado, I'm going to hand over to Peter again to to transport you back to the French Riviera.
2: Hello and welcome back to Cannes, yesterday was a Scotcher, but today I actually got rained on, that wasn't supposed to happen, but it was worth getting a wee bit wet to speak to some of the people from the agency and ad tech world here at Cannes, or let me know if you spotted yesterday's deliberate mistake, how many exhibitors are at Cannes lines?
3: Great to be with you, Peter. My name is Barry Adams. I'm the EVP of AdTech Tech for iPonWeb. And uh, great to be here at Cannes and see some old friends and get to get to hang out with clients.
2: It's a lovely garden. What's that in as well?
3: It's lovely here, yeah. We, we had this little place that's actually getting torn down next year. So we will be the last tenants for the Cannes Alliance Festival. So yeah, we love it. It's a great little enclave here and a couple floors for meetings.
2: So what does iPonWeb do?
3: That is, it, it's a complicated question. Uh, those who are insiders of programmatic will know iPonWeb. So historically, we've built a lot of the programmatic ad stack from DSPs and SSPs to uh, our trading platform, BidSwitch, which actually is a kind of pass-through for uh, these buyers and sellers to, to, uh, to uh, exchange traffic. Uh, beyond that, we have our own SSP or exchange called the MediaGrid. And then we have a kind of a programmable bidder product called BidCore. Um, which is something that that is deployed on the buy side to access uh, inventory.
2: So what are you doing here at Cannes?
3: Uh, Well, uh, number one is to to finally just connect in person with all of these people that we've been on Zoom calls with for so long, right? And in some cases, there's been turnover in teams, and you're you're getting for the first time to meet people that you've now only been seeing on Zooms. And then again, old friends. I've been in the industry a long time, so some of us are just getting reunited. There has been some rosé involved, uh, no doubt. But on the, on the kind of business front, like we, we came in with some fairly narrow objectives. Um, uh, part of it was to do some product validation on some products that we were planning to release. And so we needed to get that real-time, honest feedback that's really hard to get in large groups and on Zoom calls. So this has been invaluable for that reason. We really got a lot of value out of this this year.
2: So what's your big focus when you're having these? Without getting into the detail of the products, what's the focus of those conversations? Is it around data or is it around the infrastructure?
3: Yeah, there's. I'd, I'd say there's probably three or four categories. One of them is I'd put it in the bucket of supply path optimization or demand path optimization, and that also relates to kind of uh, ESG and and the environmental concerns around reducing the carbon footprint. So, you know, we've seen this for many many years where the the inflation of traffic is just constantly going up, and there's lots of reasons for that: header bidding, app mediation, the new formats coming online, and so that 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 volume of traffic just keeps going up and the number of distribution channels keeps going up. So we are creating a wider and wider footprint. And so we have tools and approaches to try and reduce that through demand path optimization and supply path optimization. That's a pretty hot topic and many of our partners either deploy their own uh, means of addressing this or um, they work with partners like us to help do it. So that, that's definitely one of them. So it's, uh,
2: <laughs> I'm not a particularly technical guy. Is that all about reducing processes, reducing the number of processes that are involved in the ad serve?
3: Yeah, I guess there's two ways of looking at it. One is on the distribution side. So uh, you want to reduce the number of times that you distribute a bid request, for example. So instead of distributing it 100 times, if you can re- distribute it once or twice, you, you can just see clearly that that's going to reduce the carbon footprint. And on the buy side, it's, it's sort of a little bit the same, but the other way. They don't want to listen to a whole bunch of traffic that, frankly, they're not going to bid on or win on. So uh, they're looking for means and ways to filter that traffic so that it's not necessary for them to receive it. So both of those work together to to reduce the carbon footprint. So it's
2: about introducing efficiency into the process?
3: 100%. Yeah, absolutely right.
2: So what else are you hearing?
3: Um, Well, there's been a lot about diversity and inclusion. uh, And, uh, you know, just those of us who are in senior positions tend to want to swap notes on how they're approaching it. Remote work is another one that we're all talking about as managers, like how are we treating it? are people coming back into the offices as signaled by some companies or others are going full remote and that they're never going back so so that's been one amongst i guess the manager folks yeah. um, so so that's that's a that's been a, a couple of themes there identity isn't new but it's becoming kind of increasingly uh, top of mind especially on the publisher side you know publishers need to choose start choosing their identity solutions for this uh, you know post cookie less future okay so here's
2: the impossible question sure. is it going away in 2023
3: Uh, If I was a betting man, I'd say no. Uh, And I am occasionally a betting man, so (laughs) I'm going to say no. Uh, But I think the best bet would be
2: 2024. But I'm assuming from you guys' point of view, publishers would be on it right now.
3: Yeah, well, we were just kind of talking about this earlier. It seems that until the devil's at your door, no one's doing much, and, and so the devil's been looming for a while about this. And I, I do think that if you're not, if you're a publisher and you're not testing identity solutions yet, you are making a mistake. You should be doing that absolutely. Um, and you know, there you know, there are many many solutions out there, and I think the the pack will narrow soon enough. And so I think what a lot of folks are rightly nervous about is overcommitting on. Uh, too many solutions that later don't turn out to scale so but you you need to be testing you need to be looking and talking to your your SSP partners and others to find out you know what are their views and who's starting to get more traction in the environment so that you can not be
2: back-footed when the time comes is that about the publishers looking at their systems and figuring out what they need and then going out or is it how do they how do they start that process
3: yeah, it's a good question. I mean, it's going to differ a lot by publisher, depending on the kind of assets they have. So for publishers who have strong first-party data assets and login information and all that, they're going to have a slightly different approach. They're going to be very careful about leakage and making sure they can control that data. Um, and for other publishers, you know, they'll be trying to look for ways to um, maintain trading without necessarily having the, the advantage of, of that that strong kind of first-party data asset. But so th- there's a lot of differences there. But I, I think in terms of implementation, a lot of it isn't that hard, and most of the vendors out there are trying to make it as easy as possible for implementing. It's just a question of focus and, and prioritization, I think. So no one wants to run a test on 30 different vendor providers, right? That, that's, that's pretty time-consuming. So I think the, most publishers ought to at least have a framework in place by which they can judge, like understanding their own needs, their own profile, and being able to map that to the identity solutions that are out there is a, is a first exercise, I think.
2: So, in terms of an event, has come lived up to its expectations for you?
3: I mean, I would say so. You know, I've lost ten pounds due to the uh, to the heat, so that's great. Uh, and you know, it's it is a bit thinner this year, in fairness. But in another fun way, you know, every meeting is super positive because people are just so excited to be back in person. You know, as they cough through their COVID. Um, but but it is I think the the excitement level is high, the, the the volume of people is a bit less, which for an older fellow like me that's great. Um, you know I don't have to run around quite as much and stand in a queue for quite as long to get on a boat. So uh, overall you know two thumbs up. It's been great so far, and we still have a couple days left.
2: Uh, one of the things I was surprised about because I've never been here before, but just how many tech companies are here.
3: Yeah, that's sort of been the trends for the past several years. I mean, back in the day, it used to be a lot more the kind of brand side and the creatives and folks. And then, you know, you started seeing you know, the, the, the Googles and the Facebooks taking over now Meta. Uh, it, I think that trend's just kind of continuing. Um, there's a few new faces out there, but um, yeah, very tech oriented in general, for sure. So you'll
2: be back again next year?
3: I hope so. Yeah, definitely. Absolutely.
0: I am Jessica Jacobs, Global Director of Partnerships and Growth at Incubita. Um, It's an interesting one. My job is to manage the partnerships with the likes of Google, as well as the partnerships with our global clients.
2: So you described yourself as buy side and sell side. How does that work?
0: Traditionally speaking, these guys kind of sit on separate sides of the table, right? So the one is really focused on publishers and how they're kind of attracting the content. And the other side is helping advertisers place that content. But we're now seeing the world kind of converge into this new space where advertisers and publishers have to work closer together. And that's an interesting space for us. So what was before kind of China Wall is now together.
2: And in terms of working with these guys, what are they, I mean, you, we're here, we stood on this beautiful balcony in Cannes. What are you hearing from these people?
0: It's, it's interesting. It's, it's kind of the ex- expected uh, topic. So sustainability continues to be a big one, privacy. Um, everybody's asking, they're almost coming out to see what are the big tech giants doing around privacy? Like, are they really going to be more transparent? What are those solutions? And I think it's a bit more of diversity. We've seen a lot of panels around diversity conversations. So it's interesting to see that that's kind of flooded through to can as well.
2: How much, this is a hard question because you can't answer it, <laughs> or you can't do anything about it anyway. How much of that do you think is, I'm not going to say virtue signaling, but box ticking, and how much do you think it's actually real?
0: So look, I I think that the concern is that there is a lot of box ticking happening right now. um, And that's because a lot of these things have not been solved for. And it's our job to actually solve it together. So I'm not looking for one of these MarTech giants to give us the answer, but I'm looking for them to be more open to solving this together. And hopefully that should kind of lead away from just ticking boxes.
2: So one of the things that you guys have been doing is being out, just like I have, out and about talking to people uh, on across there, what are you hearing from people just as you're bumping into them and asking them questions?
0: Yeah, yeah. So, um, look, we're mainly meeting with our partners, right? And they're asking us the same question. They're all kind of asking us for, for these big changes that are coming ahead in the digital ecosystem, what are we doing to help clients move faster? Because that's important to these guys at the end of the day. They need their clients to move. So um, we're kind of always addressing the same question around our approach. It's going to be very operational, heavy. We're going to try and solve th- from internal core of a business and then giving them smart solutions so what do
2: you as your business what is it your business actually does for clients
0: so um we either come in as a consultancy we help strategize what their next steps would be for the big changes we can come in as a media specialist we can come in as a creative partner actually doing production do and, and actually developing these content now can what makes CAN's interesting it's it's creativity central but creative is a big solution for the future, and it's going to become creative data. So everybody's trying to see how can they connect creative back into now, what is this world of data?
2: So one of the reasons I've never been at Cam before is because I always saw it as a creative event. Yeah. But what you're saying there is that data is now part of that, and tech is now part of that, and everything's now about creativity.
0: I like the fact that it's changed a bit. It is very traditional, right? And we were all a bit worried if it's going to be the same traditional dinosaurs kind of sitting here. But you can almost see it by the categories that have changed. Can has introduced creative data as a category to enter awards for. That means they are shifting. They are looking for data to inspire creativity and, and vice versa.
2: So have you been here many times before?
0: I have actually not. This is my first time as well. I'm usually quite connected with the content that is generated here and I've been following it for many years, but I'm experiencing it for my first time myself.
2: So one of the things that, again, I've been told is that there was these concerns post-COVID, all sorts of going on, that people probably weren't going to come to Cannes this year. Seems to be wrong because it's very busy. Yeah. But you guys have got something a little bit special to, to, to sort of compensate for that idea.
0: Yeah, look. Um, So I thought the same thing. Is everybody going to be concerned about, you know, safety around COVID? But it's definitely panned out to be very busy and it's difficult to navigate through the streets at night. And yeah, we've tried to kind of bring the idea of if you're not in Cannes and there's a reason for it, try to follow the journey with us. And that's through our Incubator Insider series, like a moment in Cannes, which ties into the theme of Cannes as well.
2: But you're also doing something after the event, right?
0: Yes. So there is a essentially a wrap up webinar, which happens on Tuesday. And the idea is that everybody can essentially follow the journey that we've captured. We've spoken to people on the boardwalk. We've interviewed really big, you know, big tech players as well as some clients.
2: So next year, I know we've not even finished this year, but next year, would you advise people to come to Cannes?
0: Absolutely. I think everybody is a bit worried that this is still very traditional, but it's definitely changed. It's changed our perspective as well. We want to be more involved because we see it's very tech focused. It's very data focused. And that almost gives us a space for all of us to be involved now. So we'll come back with a bigger team and hopefully everybody else will too.
2: So were you surprised by the amount of tech that's here because that boardwalk is crazy, right?
0: Yes, Boardwalk is basically tech heavy. Um, I am surprised. They're definitely center stage here. I mean, we're seeing a lot of creativity come from these tech players, and I like that we're definitely blending it. And creative finally has a seat at the table and the tech guys are willing to admit it.
2: So what's been the best thing about being here?
0: Look, um, for me, it's been fantastic to see the lineups um, that these big guys have brought to the table. A lot of celebrities have gotten involved. And I kind of feel like the industry is blending. Everybody now understands the value of digital and we're, we're no longer having to kind of have conversations around the value it brings versus, you know, traditional advertising. I
2: believe Ryan Reynolds was speaking this morning.
0: Yes. Um, those are actually one of the celebrities that I absolutely believe belongs here. He's a very creative mind. He has its own creative agency. But there's been others too. I mean, I've heard Paris Hilton was here as well. I don't know how much that brings. Yeah,
2: into- I'm not sure what that story is.
0: <laughs> no idea. I couldn't really tell either. He
2: was talking about creative storytelling, and I think that's really interesting.
0: You know, absolutely. He's been really smart with what he's been doing with Aviation Gen and then kind of starting up his own creative business. Of course, it makes it relatively easier for him to do so, but I actually believe in it because he is so creative.
4: Hi, my name is James Prudhomme, and I'm the Chief Revenue Officer for a startup called Optable, which is a data cleanroom platform headquartered in Montreal, Canada. I live in London in the UK.
2: And you arrived here, James, on a, an electric scooter, which I think is possibly the bravest thing I've seen in Cannes. I think,
4: uh, yeah, bringing the scooter. I rented the scooter here in Cannes, to be clear, and it's just been a dream. It's been excellent for getting around from meeting to meeting, uh, not getting too sweaty, and I can clear one end of the cross set to the other in, uh, in about 10 minutes.
2: Excellent. So why are you here? Why are you in Cannes?
4: I mean, I, you know, uh, came for the meetings, right? Uh, A lot of my uh, key partners and and, and prospects and clients are here, a lot from the U.S. It was a great opportunity to connect with U.S. partners and prospects, uh, more so than I'd say Europeans, but I've had some great meetings with Europeans as well.
2: That's really interesting. I've heard in the past, Cannes was a European event, but now it's more an American event.
4: That's how I've always felt about it, that the Americans really come out in droves the Brits come out, but my philosophy is, you know, I can meet the Brits in London, um, and, and, you know, when there's so many other meetings to be had in Cannes, uh, I don't necessarily prioritize. But we've had Japanese clients here as well, um, so it truly is a global event.
2: So it's not just an excuse for people to come from the States and hang out in the sunshine on the Riviera?
4: Well, I think it is, um, but it's not just that. Yeah,
2: that's right. Okay, so one of the themes this, uh, this festival is data, um, you guys are in data clean rooms. Please explain to me what a data clean room is. Sure, contrary
4: to what a lot of people think, it's not actually about cleaning data. Um, so a data clean room allows two parties who don't trust each other to share their data and measure the overlap of that data in a way that can you know, give them value through insights or targeting or activation. And so a proper data clean room will cryptographically secure the data to make sure that the underlying data is never exposed to the other party. So it engenders trust, if you will, where trust doesn't naturally exist.
2: So this is for publishers in the sense that they have great first party data, but they don't have scale and the clean room will give them some scale.
4: Well, the clean room can potentially help to address some of the scale issues, but it's more like a publisher has great first-party data, an advertiser has great first-party data, and they want to bring those two data sets together so that they can create segments for targeting on the publisher's website that are made up of uh, advertiser first-party data.
2: So it's not, it's not just publisher data, it's also advertiser data. And in that sense, the publisher is enhancing the advertiser data? Yeah, or vice versa,
4: depending on your perspective. Um, you know, a clean room can typically facilitate one-to-one or one-to-many matches. And so you can imagine one advertiser matching with many publishers, um, and you can imagine publishers matching with other publishers to, you know, kind of create data cooperatives and that sort of thing. So the number of permutations is kind of endless, really. Um, and there's a number of different use cases that can be
2: supported. So this is, I'm assuming all set ready to go for when third party cookies finally disappear that's exactly
4: right it's it's a big part of it's not that it's not a panacea there is no panacea but it's a big part of uh, solving the addressability problems if you think about it broadly what third party cookies do today is connect data they connect two different you know sources or two different types of data Um, So clean rooms largely do the same thing, and they provide data connectivity uh, between two disparate data sets. So yes, clean rooms absolutely uh, go a long way towards addressing the problems that are emerging as a result of the loss of third-party
2: cookies. Do you think enough people are talking about clean rooms as a solution? Because I've read some stuff, but I'm not seeing it everywhere.
4: I think a lot of people are talking about it. I think more and more people are learning and understanding it. Um, I've, you know, I, I alluded to the sort of clean data problem because some people come to me and say, oh, data clean room, so you're going to clean my data. Like, no, 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 we're not going to clean your data. So I think there's a lot of education to do. Uh, but I think people are fundamentally understanding the value of data connectivity. And when you sort of break it down into the right terms and you put it into a paradigm that people can understand, they're like, oh, yeah, okay, I get it you allow matches to happen, you allow partnerships to take place, and you allow people to activate that data at scale, um, I think people fundamentally understand the value of that.
2: I'm guessing that idea of activating data is a really big deal at can, because so much of the audience is the advertiser or the brand or the agency. Are you having those conversations? Yeah, I'd say we are. I'd say brands
4: are super leaned in. If, if in the in the era of third party cookies, brands have largely relied on third party data um, for targeting and for activation. Now that's going to go away, and that's going to impact their ability to use third party data. Data clean rooms can give the brands a degree of confidence, you know, using some of the the cryptographic techniques that are inherent in them. So you give the brand a degree of confidence that they can match their data um, with a publisher or with a partner or with a retailer, um, and they're not going to have to worry about that data you know, leaking or being exposed.
2: It's the idea that you don't necessarily have to trust your partners because there's an escrow type situation.
4: That's a way to think of it exactly, and it does engender trust where trust doesn't naturally exist or where trust can't exist for legal reasons. You and I may trust each other, it doesn't mean we can share our personal identity graph with one another.
2: So Cannes for you has been a a good trip, it's been worth coming?
4: Oh yeah, it's been really good. I I was a bit reluctant to be honest, I wasn't gonna come to Cannes this year. And then about three weeks ago, I kinda changed my mind and so, um, but it's been a really good experience. I ended up with a great flat, Um, the scooter's been brilliant, uh, been having a lot of fun connecting with a lot of old friends and, and making a lot of new ones.
2: So for publishers looking at this for next year, would you advise them to come?
4: I would, but I would advise them to really spend a lot of time organizing, making sure that they're going to get value, structuring all of their meetings, and come with an agenda, come with questions, come with a desire to learn, and I think you'll get a lot of value out of Can if you do that.
5: Hi, I'm Matthew Papa, uh, SVP of Business and Corporate Development at Captify. Captify is a search intelligence platform for marketers and publishers. We bring the power of search intent data to the programmatic landscape across display, online video, CTV, and adjustable linear TV, uh, empowering marketers to reach the consumer that matches their needs the most and giving publishers access to the power of search data uh, to monetize their audiences uh, more effectively.
2: So search from what point of view?
5: So we work with over 2,000 different uh, publishers and data partners who provide us on-site search data. So um, there's this huge universe of search that exists outside of the traditional search engines where it's a different kind of part of the funnel but also a different consumer journey, Uh, going to specialized product review sites, online travel agents, online service providers, and even traditional media companies uh, where the end consumer is looking to understand more about a specific product or event. Uh, We capture that data and we, you know, Build into uh, audiences and profiles that can be activated across a variety of different channels in both a, in both an identity based manner and a cookie cookieless manner
2: so you use the word first yeah. you use the cookie word first so what 's going on what 's happening with cookies
5: I think that if we hadn 't had a pause at can for the last two years, this topic would be far more supercharged than it is um, it 's still certainly top of mind, but Not much has happened since like the major Google announcement. And my kind of feeling amongst the folks that we've talked to on both the buy side and the sell side is that the cookie is likely not going to go away um, in 2023 as expected. And that it may actually never go away. Uh, But publishers do understand that there is a hole there uh, that, you know, needs to be filled for the, the totality of the browser ecosystem that doesn't support cookies today. That makes up, you know. 40% of browsing sessions so you know I think we're I think we're all kind of beyond the point of saying like what are we going to do when the cookie goes away and we've kind of decided there's a multitude of different paths Uh, but the general consensus seems to be that that Google may kick this can down the road indefinitely.
2: So from a publisher point of view cookies aren't necessarily a great thing anyway so is it is part of this argument that it's just the right thing to do it's the right thing to do because the the barrier to entry
5: to be a cookie-driven data business is very, very low, right? It's simply just being able to get JavaScript code into a given browser environment and create cookies. And that that really doesn't help anyone, right? Like, it doesn't really help the publisher. Yes, it may help the marketer, but there's a lot of deficiencies in the cookie ecosystem as is. And, and ultimately the the one party that we forgot about is the end consumer and it doesn't really help them like the cookie is not the is really not the root problem of all this it's how we used the cookie that became the real problem the intrusive advertising experience that made this kind of tracking uh based marketing mentality is really the problem because 95% of people understand what a cookie does but they don't understand how it's used and that final component is really the is really the the issue that most people would, would say is the is, is kind of why they want to get rid
2: of cookies. Going back to the search aspect, does is, does contextual play a part in that?
5: Contextual and search are are basically like siblings, right? And in the early days of, of data-driven activation, thinking about contextual as a data point, search was a, a key component to that. You know, search keyword-based retargeting was included in contextual-based uh, methodology because the search usually occurred in an environment where there was a natural kind of relationship between the search event itself and then the content that the end consumer was, uh, you know, was, was consuming. And so we think that this marriage between this kind of, contextual rebirth and search is a, a really powerful behavioral, behavioral signal that we want to begin to bring to publishers and let them tap into that. So if I'm a publisher and I'm maybe particularly vertical specific around gaming or travel or lifestyle, health, and fitness, I can sell into my endemic advertisers all day long, but how do I sell to the of the marketing ecosystem that's non-endemic, right? And search allows us to tie together, you know, consumer content uh, consumption behaviors with their, you know, a very, very strong signal of intent, obviously, which is the, the search event that occurs. So we think that, you know, the publisher is going to be empowered to have a variety of different tools that they can kind of pop under this first party data umbrella, Um, but their access to search at scale is going to be very difficult. Um, So we want to be able to bring that scaled macro trend of search into like a micro level targeting for publishers. And we think that they, we think it works really, really well for contextual, and we've made that a, a, a
2: a core component of our product suite. So in that sense, from a publisher's perspective, being niche or niche, is as good as it gets. Is that would you say that's true? I think that
5: this this world of needing to have enormous scale and you know, provide a variety of different media outlets is is important, but it's it's largely been kind of done now by a few different media brands and they're very good at it. Uh, having a niche or niche kind of vertical for your as a publisher is not a bad thing. Um, you just need to storytell better, right? Like the best part about using data in marketing and advertising is being able to story tell, and I think the publishers on their own will have trouble doing that because they're just not, you know, they're not data driven storytellers. But empowering technology partners, you know, uh, like ourselves or you know strong SSP platforms like you know uh, Sovereign or Magnite that gives them the opportunity to do a one to many approach to those marketers so we think the supply side technology ecosystem is going to play a critical role not just in the obviously the yield optimization of media but being able to create better outcomes through data storytelling
2: so the idea of storytelling means different things to different people what's what was what's the key ingredient in sort of no ineffective storytelling. So you have the qualitative
5: storytelling, which is actually being able to talk about like what your consumers on your website are doing, what their, you know, their dwell time is, what the attention behind that is, and what that ultimately means for creating better outcomes for marketers. That's difficult to do for anybody. Even the biggest publishers in the world, like Vox and Washington Post, they have to put lots and lots of capital resources into that storytelling. We have to modify the way that we think about storytelling because The way technology has been built around the activation of media is around efficiency and timeliness, Mm -hmm. right? So that storytelling can occur through a more robust, you know, understanding of the signals that can be used at at the consumer level, right? So if I'm a website owner and I know that, you know, my average consumer reads four pages on my website – we know this about their search behaviors. We know this about, you know, potentially addressability. We know this about, you know, the the type of consumers that visit our site and then the types of actions that they take away from our property. Being able to pass those through um, as a signal is a really powerful tool that today, the major platforms that handle these types of transactions in our ecosystem are beginning to evolve, right? So it's not just about going back to the cookie. It's not just about looking for a cookie ID and optimizing to that one singular ID. It's What more do we know about this person that we can pass through this pipe that we can use to understand the trends on this given web property and then influence the way we buy media there in the future, right? So like the available supply pool is going to tighten for buyers because they're going to begin to optimize towards the best supply that is brand safe, is clean drives the best consumer outcomes, but they're going to be looking for more, right? They're not just going to be looking for one single identifier. They're going to be looking for more that paints a broader picture in both a privacy and you know, regulation designed way, but also across a variety of different supply endpoints.
2: So in that sense, the brands are looking for a quality?
5: brands will always tell you they're looking for quality because they have to they have to have that narrative like that's just public facing but the 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 range of quality how we define quality is you know it's quite large but there's a lot of different tools that are designed to obviously provide that kind of you know planning and forecasting for quality but Ultimately, having a nice, clean pipe of transparency that obviously brings these data signals into the equation will allow them to redefine what quality is, right? Like, we're going through a renaissance in ad tech. Ad tech is now an adolescent, and it's beginning to understand what it what it can do and what it shouldn't do, and not so much what it can't do, but what it actually shouldn't do. And allowing multitude of companies and, you know, kind of working cohesively to, grade each other's homework is a really powerful way for brands to understand not only the end consumer behavior, but like how they got there. And, you know, there's always these kind of peaks of inflated expectations. You know, big topic this week at Cannes has been around CTV. Everyone wants to plow millions of dollars into CTV. It's the new frontier. You know, CTV is going to go through its own headache of brand safety and transparency of supply and We all have to be ready for that, right? Because we saw this happen with display. We saw this happen with in-stream video. We saw this happen with stream video. We've seen this happen with mobile app. Like, it's just how it works. And so we need to be realistic that, yes, this is a major opportunity. What's really interesting is that we have huge legacy established media brands providing great content. But there's always going to be nefarious actors that get involved here. And we need to trust our instincts and work with really great companies that are designed to prevent negative outcomes happening on behalf of the brand so like we need to lean in with the likes of double verify and iis and those companies also need to make their technology better they need to be more robust it needs to be backed up by empirical data like this is how we got to this point
2: so is can a good place for those kind of conversations to be taking place the
5: the, the best part about can is that it brings together people who are willing to work towards innovation and change in our ecosystem you know three, four years ago, the last time I went to Cannes in 2019, it was the same, you know, it was the same ethos, which is like, we're here, we want to do something. Yes, the rosé flows. Yes, you have an Aperol Spritz at 11 o'clock in the morning, but it's a great way to to celebrate what's so wonderful about the advertising industry. And, And advertising gets a lot of negativity and, and it's, candidly, it's warranted from time to time, but like, There's some great, intelligent people who are working to create better outcomes and to democratize the dependency that we have on some of these larger businesses. And I think that can Lions... You know, presents the opportunity from people all over the world, Captify is a global business. We operate in 15 markets to meet with people from different continents that understand these different business challenges. The challenges that we have in the U.S. are very different than the challenges we have in the U.K., and they're very different from the challenges that we have in Southern Europe. And being able to get that perspective allows us to be a better company, allows us to service our clients better, and allows us to partner with the right people. And so discovery of new partnership opportunities is always the best part about can and just being able to walk to a variety of different restaurants bars or along the you know the Quasette is a really interesting way to rub shoulders with people that i normally wouldn't have access to people want to come to the french riviera that's the running joke like why do we have to do it in the french riviera it's like actually why not right like aren't we all tired of doing conferences in chicago and orlando and phoenix and stuff like those places are great but like this is one of the most magical places on the planet like we should be doing stuff here
6: my name is Johnny Moyes. Uh, I work for Sovereign uh, Sovereign Holdings, and my role is Director of Bio Development in the EU. Um,
2: and I'm here in Cannes. So you told me about ago that this is the second time you've been at Cannes. How's it been? It's been amazing. Um, I was here back in
6: 2019, the, the, the last Cannes before the uh, obviously the global pandemic. This Cannes feels um, much more productive in terms of just the the fact that I feel like everyone was locked up for two and a half years, we appreciate in-person networking so much more, but people really feel like they're going that extra mile this year to meet people that maybe they normally wouldn't have given their time to in previous years. And that's sort of springboarded a number of conversations that normally, you know, you have to book a booth or book a dinner or, you know, be be a certain job title to get. Here, you've got greater access.
2: One of the things you said before was that idea that you kind of bump into people almost by accident. Is that part of the, the vibe in Cannes? It is. Um, there were a couple of CEOs
6: that we spoke with this week. And again, we had access to CEOs that normally you know, you have to, um, you have to go through several stages to get that level of access. And one of the quotes of the, of the, of the week, as we want to call it, is uh, the, the plan for Cannes is to not have a plan. It is to sign up for everything, have your strategic meetings with, you know, your key contacts. But remember, it's about people that you don't already know. That's where the value is. And this year has proved absolutely that point has been backed up by the majority of people I've spoken with. Um, and, and we've had, I think, over the past three days, every single day we've got between 30 to 50 new contacts each. And that's just for us commercial people on agency side.
2: So... Throughout the week, the conversation around cookies yeah. has just been getting more and more sort of. I don't know. It's just being talked about more and more that I'm hearing. What are you hearing about at all? Well, it's interesting.
6: On, on Monday night, we were at one of the you know the cliche yacht parties again. Great networking experience. And a couple of uh, clients that I know really well came up to me and was like, "Have you heard about the Google announcement?" I'm like, "Which one?" I feel like there's been a couple floating around and it was about the deprecation of the cookie and the number 2028 was sort of banded around. And I was thinking, okay, 2028, is that a strategic, you know, uh, is that a strategic idea or is that just to almost say the market or the industry or even the the world is not ready for it. Over the increasing of the coming days, that seems to be have solidified back down to a 2024, which really gives you a new two and a half, call it three year operating window. It really does feel that there are so many solutions out there but the risk if it's not ready is almost with the global economy and all of the various things going on. I think Google want to make sure that they don't upset too many people but also I think it's that the solutions make sense for their clients as well as all the
2: people in the ecosystem. you think they might upset people by not, by not shutting it all off after people have done so much work? I was going to say that there's probably a lot of... Um,
6: investors and people out there that have built huge companies and hired a lot of very intelligent people who are there to again solve problems that's what we do right our industry is about solving problems and delivery if you've been spending the last four years on solving a problem that now might potentially not you know not come to fruition that can be particularly difficult i can imagine to keep your you know your organization moving forward however i don't think the work's going to stop i think it's just going to evolve and it will happen in a more natural organic way rather than a hard and fast deadline.
2: So you mentioned the economy and obviously there's all sorts going on in the world what are you hearing about what are people saying about the economy?
6: Uh, The start of this year was all about the supply chain Um, supply chain issues have really hit automotive um, really hit anything coming from the far east in terms of fulfillment and that was I guess the uh, the sort of the elephant in the room conversation that you're always having with the agencies. They had the budget, but they were concerned about delivery. Now everything's moved much more to, you have inflation, which is an issue worldwide. You have obviously interest rates going up to sort of counteract the effects of inflation. And the the R word is now being almost thrown around like it's a given. We've had a couple of conversations here where people have said, look, Q3 is being revised down for certain organisations. And also, I think the agencies are trying to mitigate what could potentially be a, a global slowdown. But I don't think it's going to be a recession that will affect our industry in a, uh, a cataclysmic way. I think the growth is just going to be slowed right down. The last two years has been phenomenal growth. I mean, there are companies that have really grown their footprint and customer base more so in the last two years than they probably had plans for their, you know, five to 10 year plan. So it's, it, it's, been a, it's been a good year. It's been a good couple of years.
2: So in that sense, you think it's a little bit more business as usual rather than these weird ups and downs?
6: Yeah, I think you're going to see much more long-term visions. You're going to see brands really trying to, I think, test things that maybe they're a little bit hesitant of before. But the biggest thing that you know we're finding when we're talking to agencies and brands and, and some of our, our vendor partners is trying to figure out ways that you can scale by working in partnership with other companies that seems to be the element that has really embraced a lot more people to have conversations that typically they'll be like you're a frenemy you know you could be a potential competitor we're going to be really secretive with you if you're trying to solve addressability and I I know everyone is talking about that you need to have some kind of conglomerate Um, whereby you're able to work with partners, scale that, but also have almost like a universal outlook rather than a a walled garden. You can only do it through us.
2: So what kind of solutions are people talking about in that area?
6: There's everything. There's hashed emails. There is is anything whereby I think connected TV is, is such an interesting space. But the big issue that you've got there is you've got obviously the players, the uh, programs, the apps, don't even get me started on the, on the television devices. Um, and you've got this whole inf- infrastructure that really needs connecting together, not just for the advertiser, but for the consumer, the, the audience. We, no one wants to say, get rid of the cookie, it's bad. Like There, there, are, there, are, there are evolutions in, in, in our industry over time that have obviously happened. I think the cookie is going to evolve into something else. But I don't think if I sat here and said I had to pick which horse was going to come in. I don't know there's a clear horse. I think there's a lot of good front runners, but I don't know. I don't think it's going to be a single solution.
2: So being in Cannes and having those conversations then is probably pretty important.
6: Exactly. And feeling back, uh, back to the various teams um, at Sovereign, uh, you know, we're a company of over 200 plus employees uh, worldwide. We have a huge engineering and product division. And my role is to really get this kind of feedback, kind of what I'm doing with you now, and being able to disseminate that information back to the organization, because that allows us to plan what we're gonna build for the next two years. And and not only that, that we can actually be the voice of the buyer in an organization where we're trying to understand what products and what solutions are gonna be viable or relevant in the next two years. Because you have to start these conversations now for that to come to fruition, and you also need to go through beta and testing so if you think of can as like the the, the spark the, the idea that that, that that that's what people are looking at and then my role is to continue the can conversation three six five you know days the the, the rest of the time that we're, we're we're back in our day jobs
2: without the rosy and the sunshine although not very good sunshine today, it's
6: pissing down. It's not, but you know what? It's been, um, it's been a phenomenal um, uh, number of days. I think it'll go up to like 31 degrees Celsius um, in a good couple of days. I've somehow survived without a suntan, which is amazing for me with my fair skin. But it's been, um, you know, there's not been a bad moment. There's not been a moment of like, what am I going to do What am I going to do for the next hour? You know, there's, there's there was always something too much, too much.
2: And that's it from me here in Cannes. I've learned loads, not least, that cookies might be around for a while longer. Also, that the DEI conversation is real, sustainability is an issue that adtech is thinking about, and that content, attention metrics, and collaboration are very firmly on the agenda. I hope you've enjoyed these episodes from Cannes. I've loved being here, and I can't wait to come back again next year.
1: Well, it sounds like you've had a great time, Peter, even if the rain has put a tapener on your tanning plans. A massive thanks again to our sponsor Sovereign, for making these episodes possible. And just a reminder that you can see all the tools and technologies they have available to help publishers monetise their businesses over on their website, sovereign.com. If you're new to Media Voices, we release regular episodes every Monday featuring a news roundup and an interview with a leading industry figure. You can follow us on Twitter at Media Voices Pod. Or subscribe to our newsletter and see our other work by going to our website, voices.media. But until next week, goodbye.